we are all on a journey. And as we travel, we must look and listen. For God speaks plainly, softly at times, but fluidly in a way that we can understand to guide us. We're looking at the story of Jonah this morning, and I don't have to tell you that story. You've, you've known this most of your life. You first learned it as the story of Jonah and the whale, and then you got a little older and figured out, now, it doesn't say whale, it says a big fish, and there's a difference. The story of Jonah is one of God's calling and of man's rejection disobedience. Jonah was a prophet that was called to save an entire city, a large city. His words would change them. God had absolutely prepared everything. All he had to do is go and to speak and they would repent. God wanted to bless Jonah because of this. He wanted him to be a part of it. But Jonah in his reluctance and also in his prejudice towards the Ninevites, said no. And you know the story. When God spoke to him, instead of going to Nineveh, he got on a boat going to Tarshish. And he was so confident about his journey there that he went down in the, the ship and fell asleep. Irony of ironies, we have two stories in the Bible about men that got on boats and went to sleep. This one, of a sinful man who was running away from God, and the other of God himself, Jesus, asleep in a boat, and a storm comes along. When you rest in Jesus, you don't have to worry about anything bad happening. You trust him. But Jonah didn't trust God. He was running. And then suddenly he encountered something that, to this very day, we are all remark remarkably changed by, how God sent another creature to literally swallow him and take him to the depths of the sea for three days and three nights. He knew it, he heard it, he understood it. Periodically, I get the opportunity of going down to the uh, uh, Gulf Shores Foley area, and I love it down there. One of the places I like to go to when I go there is Big Fish Ministries in Foley, Alabama, because they have... Uh, one of the neatest stores there. And then on up the road, they have another. There are two there. And, and they sell clothes there uh, that have either been gently used or shared with them. Uh, the only five Brooks Brothers shirts that I own came from there. And I'm happy to tell you today, I paid $5 each for them, and they were new, brand new. Now, don't get up and leave to go to Foley right now to get that deal, but it's there. And I'll never forget first, the first time I went into the store talking to the man at the cash register, and I said, I'm intrigued by your name, uh, Big Fish Ministries. And he said, well, he said, it's my understanding that they realized in ministry that many times those of us who got caught up in, in life's problems, whether it was drugs or alcohol or just general poor choices, and we had to come to a place to be rehabilitated. Most of us, it was a second time. And so the big fish got us and brought us back, and that's what we're looking for. And I love the title of that, Big Fish Ministries. 
The story of Jonah is the story of disobedience, but it's also the story of restoration. It's a story of hope, not only of disobedience. And it's a story of Israel, but it's also a story of America today. Because we're a nation in disobedience. We have gone away from our God. We've allowed the majority of those who don't believe in God to influence those of us that do. And I kindly tell you to ignore them. I want you to be like that little girl that was in her first grade class and they were given a blank sheet of paper, not one with an outline to color. And they were given a pencil and they said, draw a picture of someone or something that's important to you. And everybody began to draw and the teacher went about asking each one of them what they were drawing. This little girl is sitting there and she's very quickly drawing and, and she's very focused and, and her teacher says, you are really busy on that. What are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, wow. She said, the Bible says no man's ever seen God before. What does God look like? And you know what she said? She said, wait a minute and you'll find out. She was that determined in what she was doing. And we need to be that way. Don't be distracted by those round about you. Don't, don't allow them to influence what you're doing. Continue to serve. Jonah is a book of opportunity after failure. And we've all failed. We've all made poor choices. We've all gone away from the pathway that we should be upon. But I want you to see today more than that. I want you to see today that not only is he showing hope after failure but he's demonstrating to us that miracles come out of our obedience. The first thing I want to concentrate on today is that God recommissioned Jonah. He did not cast him aside. Many of us fail, and, and failure is fatal to us because we give up. And God never wants us to give up. As long as there's breath and life in your body, you can serve. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He who obeys God trusts God, and he who trusts God obeys God. When God first called Jonah, he had a very clear direction for him. Jonah was not confused. But Jonah made a choice. Jonah didn't trust that God knew everything because Jonah believed the Ninevites to be wicked people undeserving of forgiveness. Jonah made a judgment call that was not his to make. It's easy for us to do that. Opinions can come quickly with very little thought and can sound very bold and very focused. But still, they can be focused on nothing but our opinion. The reality is that, that, that Jonah was called of God to serve. He was a prophet. God would speak through him. And he had this opportunity to do a great thing. He did not have a lot of opposition as the other prophets had. He did not have to deny his family or fight his way there or die expressing his opinion. All he had to do was to go and to speak. And with something that simple, surely, certainly, absolutely, he would be able to accomplish that quickly. But no, Jonah was a lot like us. 
he stopped to consider what was going on and who it involved. And he decided, I don't want these people to be saved. God did something very remarkable when he absolutely detoured him away from that. The folks on the ship who were pagans realized that something was wrong and that God was involved in it. And when they confronted him, they did the thing that everybody would do on a boat that was about to sink. They pitched over the offender into the ocean and suddenly everything was fine. It took Jonah three days and three nights, I think, to get his mind and his heart in order. Jonah was a lot like us. Some people don't see the light until they feel the heat. And he felt it there. He did not know that he would survive in the belly of the fish. God took him there for a reason to reorient him about his calling, to refocus him about where he was to go. We forget that obedience is the secret to spiritual power. We've been going through a pandemic, as they call it, of this coronavirus. And it's bad. And it's fearful. Now, we haven't been swallowed up by a fish, but it's, it's the modern idea of that. But is God still able to work? And does God have a direction for us and, and a purpose for us to fulfill? Does God still expect obedience from us? Absolutely, in every way. Yet so many people get so distracted and are taken away from what God is calling them to do. Isaiah 40 has a remarkable statement in it. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint, nor does he grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to, to him who has no might, he increases. And then the passage you know so well after that. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount upon wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God has a purpose for you in the midst of this pandemic. And it's not to share the negativity of life. It's not to create fear in the hearts of men. It's to deliver people from that. Your message is a positive message, a message of God, a message of hope. And He calls upon us to give that message strongly and powerfully in so many ways. You know, God commands uh, uh, Jonah to go to the Ninevites, and he doesn't like them, but he calls us to go to folks that we don't even know and sometimes we don't even like. We go and testify to them not because we necessarily want to or have time to. We need to make time to do that. It's amazing that we can do everything else but share our faith. And we forget the power in sharing our faith to plant that seed in the hearts of men and women and children and give them hope and help. The gospel should not just be heard in church. It should be heard out in the streets. One of my favorite Selmians 
is not a member of this church. Daniel Martin. Daniel Martin, in a time in his life when many people would want to retire. At an age when folks would say, just sit down and enjoy yourself, Daniel. After the passing of his wife, he's cranked up his ministry. He is walking all over the city, carrying a cross to get attention, to let people come to him, see him, and confront and encounter the living Jesus Christ. He does so because he believes that the time is short and the news is important. And we are called upon to share that. I'm not talking about the church corporate. I'm talking about you. You were given the good news. You were commissioned in Matthew 28 by Jesus himself. He qualified the work by saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And on the basis of that, go and make disciples. You say, Preacher, I... I contribute to missions, and I support missions. That's wonderful. But you're supposed to be on mission, wherever you are. I believe in lifestyle evangelism. And what I mean by that is, where your feet are standing is where you're to be a missionary. It's where you're to proclaim the gospel. It's where you're to give hope and help to people. You're to speak readily and audibly of the hope of Jesus Christ. You're to be prepared to do that, we are told in Scripture. But so often, we, like Jonah, jump in our ship to speak of, and we go the other way. We leave the mission field. We ignore the opportunity. We think that it's somebody else's job to do that. God could have called someone else, but he didn't. He could have given someone else a blessing, but, but Jonah had a purpose and a place there. God loved Jonah. He could have killed him, but he didn't. He loved him. He wanted Jonah to be the one that brought the good news and changed the city. Because in the process of changing the city of Nineveh, he wanted to change Jonah. And sometimes the reason our lives aren't changed is because we're not being obedient to God. And we're not changing to become what we need to be. We wonder how God can work all things together for good, but the reality is we're not willing to take that step. We'll pray and read our devotional. We'll even sit in Sunday school and talk to one another about God. We'll even, in a, in a very unhumble way, preach at other people. I've been preached at by more folks than you can imagine. You have been too. It's almost like they're lecturing us about maturity and walking with God. But the gospel is best applied from a humble heart and a confessional spirit. The gospel has a way of touching lives when we care about that life and we love that person. You don't simply throw it out there. I had friends when I was growing up that would order these little hundred packets of tracks 
They especially loved the chick tracks that had the little uh, cartoon drawings in them. And they'd go and hand them to people. And they imagined that they'd done something very spiritual by doing that. They'd say, there's a power in the Word of God. And I agree with them. There is. But the greatest power is the Holy Spirit of God within the Christian that shares the gospel of truth. I believe with all my heart the reason many Christians are afraid to share the gospel is not that they might be asked a question or somebody might confront them. It's that suddenly they put their life on the stage to be examined by other people. And it's requiring them to encounter the reality that they may not be the person they need to be. So they step away from that and they'll say, I'll stay back here where it's comfortable. I'm not going to get involved in all that up there. But dear people, there are individuals out there that only you can reach. You've built a relationship with them. They know you. They trust you. And they need to hear it from you. In response to Jonah's call to repentance, we see that God prepared the way for him. He will prepare the way for you to go to your Nineveh. The words of Jonah were not powerful words. They were simple words. All he said was, y'all are going to die. The Spirit of God was with him and gone before him and prepared their hearts just like the Spirit of God will go with you when you share your story with them. And that's all you have to do. You don't have to give a theological treatise on the six concepts of forgiveness in the Old Testament and what it means to be saved. Not at all. You tell your story. What you have seen, heard, and felt of Jesus. How he saved you. And the difference that he can make in your life. Sometimes we forget the importance of that. And we realize when it's too late, that we've missed the opportunity that's there. There's a lot going on in our world. And I reiterate again, I'm so thankful four or five years ago when I got rid of cable television. I don't hear their lies. I don't hear their, their mistruths and, and their reshaping our values that's what they're doing they're trying to reinterpret what is right and what is wrong to us and there's only one book that can interpret what is right and wrong to us don't listen to them don't tolerate it don't get angry I've got a friend that used to say she said the only reason I watch the news is because the doctor told me I had low blood pressure and rather than taking pills it just gets me mad and I said I don't think that serves the purpose that you're looking for if everybody in this room, listen to me, if everybody in this room would calculate how much time they spend a week watching the news and then next week take that amount of time and spend it in prayer, you know what happened? We'd have revival in Selma, Alabama. The fire would fall. God would come. But... but we like something we can control. 
We like to be able to stand and look and say, that's wrong, that's bad, that's evil. You know, evil's an easy thing to point out these days, isn't it? But are we giving the gospel of truth to those who need it? God prepares our way, just like he prepared Jonah's. But are we willing to take those steps to make a difference? You know, it says the people of Nineveh believe God. In their hearts, they saw their sin. They understood what it was about. All they needed was for someone to say, there is an end of this coming right down here. It's going to end and God is going to destroy you and it's time for you to repent. There are people in this world today that look around and they know the world is messed up and mixed up. They know that things are going the wrong way. They understand and they tremble and they're fearful and they're afraid. But nobody's called them to repentance. You turn on television and, and two out of every three preachers you listen to are more concerned about your pocketbook than your eternal destination. Amen? And I'm tired of that. I'm frustrated with that. And I don't, I don't want a preacher to tell me, oh, you're fine as long as you contribute to my ministry. Oh, you're okay. I'll give you what you're praying for. No, no, no. That's not what our relationship's about with God. God will supply all of our needs with His riches and glory, but He wants us to be obedient to Him and to do His work in this world. Salvation and walking with God is not about us getting what we want. It's about God giving us what we need to become the full people of God in a mighty way. Some people are blessed with money, and that's wonderful. Some people are given enough money to destroy themselves. It's not about possessions. Sometimes God will bless us. Other times he says, be still and repent. Notice what happened to the people here. They took off their clothing and they put on lit literally burlap. It was the garment of the poorest people in their day. Even the king did that. And he sat on ashes. An ash heap was always symbolic of death and dying. And he wanted to show an image of that. In fact, he went beyond the usual. He said, even take the animals and take their food away from them. Everyone fasts and is focused upon God. The king got a view of what was coming. And, and the word from God to him was a serious word. But somebody had to speak it. Now remember this, and don't ever forget this. When you speak truth to someone and the Holy Spirit changes them, we are part of God's compassion shown to them. As they begin to come back to God, as they repent of their sin, we celebrate in that and we have a part in that. There's no joy any greater in the life of a Christian than to see someone that's wayward come back to Him. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
a number of years ago teaching at New Orleans Seminary a class on ethics. I had a student ask me about this verse because in the King James it says that, that God repented. And he said, how can God repent? And I said, well, you're missing the point. There is a play on words there because they repented, then God repented. And, and remember, not only did God create poetry, he created the poet. And he loves play, to play on words and, and, and to function that way. He, he understands the language because he created it. And he's given, giving them a play on words and giving that to us because the understanding is this. God loves his creation so much, mankind, that he doesn't look down the corridors of, of time and say, oh, they're, they're never going to repent, they're going to continue that, boom, and get rid of us. He could do that, but he doesn't. He loves us so much that he wants to give us every single opportunity to repent. And repent means to turn to make a 180-degree turn. That's what it means. And when God repented, it simply means he took a 180-degree turn from where he was headed, which was destruction of Nineveh. And God will do that for us. When we pray and when we repent and when we call on him, things change. God hears our prayers. And he loves us. And when we speak to him, there's a heart of compassion for us because he created us in his image. God wants us to succeed, not to fail. Most people seem to spend their lives trying to accomplish greatness in some form or some fashion. They set goals and they go after them. But many times in doing that, they totally miss God's blessing. They, they, they imagine that, oh, this is my life and I can make choices and I'll go out and be successful and then I'll give God that portion that's left over. I'll tithe my time just like I tithe my income. It's not the way it works. God wants all of you. Nothing hidden. Nothing withheld. He wants all of you. He wants to use you. He will bless you in a mighty way. When we don't listen to God, that is the beginning of our troubles. Because first of all, if God is speaking, we're to listen. You know, we talk about the situation that the world is in, and it, it's, it's in a terrible way right now. We're, we have our culture, our society in America coming apart at the seams in a very personal way, in a small way. Not in a gigantic way, but all over the little fires of civil war are happening and people are hating other people for, for foolish things. And back years ago when I pastored in downtown Atlanta, my church was on Ponce de Leon Avenue. Uh, and in front of me was Emory University in, in, in one of the most beautiful neighborhoods you could ever live in. Behind me was Candler Park, which we call the Hippie Village. Because what happened in the 70s, all the hippies, when they got tired of, of, of laying out in the park and smoking dope and, and just having a good time, they went to college. And they finished. And they bought houses. And then they trimmed their beards and they're there in the neighborhood. 
and they had a sense of humor. Many of them there saw the frustrations. They'd come visit my church. I had a, I had a group that would meet on Tuesday nights. It was larger than my congregation. And it was an opportunity for people to get together who were disbelievers and to talk about it. The idea of being able to show their discontent with creation and God seemed to appeal to them. And it was fun in many ways. There was a, a Volkswagen bug that pulled up one night. And, and, of course, everybody there had the same genre about life. You know, if, if you're going to run uh, for Miss America and all, and you stand up there and they ask you a question, you know, what would you like in the world? What has got to be one of your answers? You want world peace. And that's what it's been for several decades. I, I just want world peace. I've told you before, don't ever give a simple answer to a complicated question. How do you change the world? World peace, you know, that's a good idea, but how do you find that kind of peace? One of, one of the, 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 the neo-hippies that came there in his little Volkswagen bug, he had a bumper sticker on the back of it, and it was right under the window. He had the little round window in the old Volkswagen, and the bumper sticker had a circle, and it had little English peas flying around in a circle, and it said, visualize whirling peas. And that was his take on everything. And he said, you know, he said, world peace is not possible. And I know that. But I said this to him, it's not possible until the Prince of Peace brings that peace to us. We have forgotten that there's only one source to that. You see, the genuine, genuineness of their repentance brought about change in their community. Nineveh survived. Nineveh was a pagan area, but God worked in their life. And God wants to work in America's life again. Don't listen to the talking heads on the cable channels. They may be handsome, and they may be pretty, but they are bereft of any conscience and any sense of true morality. They don't know who God is, yet they hate Him. Now figure that one out. That's why we don't need to listen to them. Back in 1950, when they were trying to sell off some of the stuff from, from World War II at the surplus stores, a Mr. Wallstrom, who came from a very creative family, he had ancestors that built clocks and, and all sorts of creative things in, uh, in Germany, he went out and bought in one of those stores an old bomb site. And this was a piece of machinery that literally you could sight and find where a bomb was and you could set the trajectory of the person that was firing to blow it up. And he took that thing and he began to work on it and rebuild it. He moved the gears around and he changed the, pull, changed the chains and the pulleys and eventually he built something that was really remarkable. They said it was a marvel to behold, behold hundreds of wheels and cogs. And, and when it would begin to, begin to move, there would be flashing lights and bells would ring. And, 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 and it was amazing. And people said, what does this do? And he said, well, it warts off evil, scares off bombs. And he named off this whole list of things. And the people named it. And it was in every major magazine in the mid-50s. It was called the do-nothing machine. It looked nice. It made a lot of noise, but it did nothing. 
I've often thought of Wallstrom's invention, Wallstrom's wonder, as they called it. And I've thought how much it is like many Christians. We've got the bells and the whistles. We've got the movement and the activity. But when all is said and done, more is said than done. God wants us to be productive, meaning proclaiming the gospel. Can you save anybody? No, none of us can. But the Spirit of God can. And we must take the gospel with us. You say, preacher, you just don't understand. I can't do that. Yes, you can. For some reason, Jonah thought he couldn't. God put him in a place where he suddenly had an attitude adjustment. I don't want you to find yourself in your proverbial big fish. God can take you aside and teach you a lesson. Possibly already has and you just didn't get it. But God wants to use you because I know there's a great power in this world and it's not the network news, folks. It's the Holy Spirit of God within you that can make all the difference. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that we all have the story of our journey, just like Jonah. And you have called us to do great things. We're to share the gospel with our life. We're to share the gospel with our lips. We're to, we're to live the gospel in such a way that others would be drawn to Christ. And yet so often that's the last thing we talk about. Lord, forgive us when we talk about our favorite hobby or our favorite sport and forget to share the truth of the gospel with those who need it. Father, speak to someone this morning who, like Jonah, they need to repent. They need to say, yes, Lord, I'm available. Here I am. And Father, I pray for those this morning that are being called to be obedient. To come forward and, and to confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior publicly, something they've not done before. Or possibly there's one here that needs to come and be, join the church and be baptized in obedience to what you called us to do. Father, speak to someone this morning, and may they respond in the only affirmation that's acceptable, which is obedience. And I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.